0: Short and Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas.
1: From our socially distanced virtual lunch table in Lafayette, we're Out to Lunch with Christian Mader, publisher and editor of The Current. It's business, Acadiana style. Hi, welcome to Out to Lunch Acadiana. I'm Aileen Bennett, sitting in for Christian Mader, who's out on paternity leave. During the COVID crisis, we've seen some changes around here. Some businesses we regarded as institutions and others we all assumed were doing great have closed for good. Although we all lose something when the local business closes, as consumers, we manage to recover. We find another place to eat a po' boy, drink a daiquiri, or buy whatever it was we used to get at what used to be our favorite place. But during this pandemic, we have come to realize that there are some institutions that are simply irreplaceable. One of them is officially known as the Lafayette Farmers and Artisans Market at Monkers Park. If you're from Lafayette, you know it as the Farmers Market at the Horse Farm. Every Saturday morning since June 2013, the Farmers Market has been selling everything from fresh produce to popcorn and offering experiences from Cajun music to face painting, 52 weeks a year. Some Saturdays it's bitterly cold, some Saturdays it's raining, but every Saturday the Farmers Market is open or it was until it wasn't. To catch up what we're optimistically calling post-COVID plans for the farmer's market, I'm joined today by the market director, Mark Hernandez. Mark, welcome to Out to Lunch Acadiana.
2: Thank you, Elaine, good morning. We're really uh, appreciative of you having us on and talking all the good things about the market.
1: We're delighted to have you. Louisiana shares the abbreviation LA with the city of Los Angeles. Although that sometimes leads to some confusion on paper and online, in the real world, there's very little overlap between the LA lifestyle in the desert west and the LA lifestyle in the humid south. For example, if I was to say burritos, you'd say Los Angeles. If I was to say po'boys, you'd pick Louisiana. So how about skateboarding? Naturally, you're going to say Los Angeles, but you know this is a trick question, right? The answer is Lafayette native, Daniel Barus. Daniel Barus is an artist, a woodworker, and a skateboarder. The combination of these three traits is a company called Barus Works, in which Daniel makes works of art from recycled skateboards. Daniel, welcome to Out to Lunch Acadiana.
3: Hello, thank you for having me, guys. I appreciate it.
1: Mark, as consumers, we know how disruptive it was not to be able to go to the farmer's market on Saturday morning. How disruptive was it for the vendors who sell there? How dependent are the vendors, especially the food vendors, on the market? And how were they able to make up for losses during the closure?
2: Yeah, that's a very good question. Thank you for asking that. Uh, you know, the, the farmer's market is a is a very unique uh, place in that we are a cooperative of, of vendors or small businesses um, from different backgrounds, we've got uh, five different categories within the market. So the question is, how did they fare through COVID? Uh, my answer would be that it depends on what the, uh, the vendor was selling. Uh, so we have five categories. The farm-based category, which is, represents all the, the, uh, the, the things that you would think of typically that would be produced from a farm, grass-fed beef, produce, honey, uh, anything that you would think would, would be produced from a farm actually those guys fared very well. And I think the reason for that is that the community realized the very fragile uh, food system that we find ourselves in, and the, the opportunity to attach themselves for, to a secure um, resource of, of a local uh, grower or farmer was really um, uh, blossomed. And so our farm-based vendors actually fared very well. through, through In fact, they, 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 they created more clientele than they can handle through the, 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 the last three or four months. And uh, what did the, they do? Well, you know, so one great thing about them being at a farmer's market is that they're able to really attach themselves and create uh, relationships with, the, with their clientele and build their clientele on a week-to-week basis. So they build a, data, a database of, of all their customers. And so, um, so they sold from their farms. Um, some of them would, would, uh, would deliver, uh, some of them would have uh, on-site pickup from their farms, but people people uh, sought them out and found them a- and secured their food. <laughs> know, what, what a, yeah, so uh, those vendors did very well. Some of the other vendors, uh, the what we call value-added products or arts and crafts, those types of vendors really struggled because uh, most folks weren't thinking about luxury items or or other items that are not necessarily needed for survival on a week-to-week basis. So those vendors struggle, obviously, like, like we all did.
1: And we'll, we'll come back to that. Daniel, you make pens, coasters, beautiful earrings, tables, and a whole lot more out of recycled skateboards. There's nothing about the finished product that hint at the raw materials of a skateboard. It's an unexpectedly vibrant-looking material. Are skateboards make, made of wood, or is it some composite material?
3: So it's made of wood. They use, typically every skateboard is made from seven um, plies of hard rock Canadian maple. And they use um, either a water-based glue or an epoxy um, to, to like compress all of those plies together to give you a really hard wood. And um, by placing the grain on each ply going perpendicular to the next it increases it makes the wood really strong over a very small distance but there's to go from like a skateboard like a an old skated skateboard that has like the grip tape and the paint and stickers and it's curved wood it's no straight lines to go from that to like any finished product with recycled skateboards is a lengthy process but it's so cool because every skateboard those seven layers it's typically they'll, they'll um, dye one or two of those layers of a vibrant color. Um, and it's honestly just because it looks cool on the side of the skateboard. It's like they've been doing it since the 80s. Um, I really don't – it might offer some form of an added strength benefit, but I think it just looks cool. So whenever you, like, go through the process and laminate it, that's where you get the vibrant colors that you're talking about. You get, like – so many colors and you get the wood grain and it just looks it just looks really cool
1: (laughs) so let's start from the source how do you get these skateboards they're obviously not all trashed and busted up so what has to go wrong for somebody's skateboard to throw it out and how do you get hold of it
3: okay so um they are all skated i don't take any skateboards that that a kid hasn't skated and deemed it was time for a new skateboard and left that one behind. So I, um, I've been in in the sales side of, of skateboarding now for about seven years. I'm a sales rep for a, a couple other companies. Um, where, whereas that used to be my full-time job, that's now my part-time job, and my part-time job is now my full-time job. Um, meaning, you know, Barice Works is now my full-time job, and sales repping is now my part-time. Anyway, throughout that period where being a sales rep for skateboard companies was my full-time job, I built relationships with skate shops all over the country. Like I became friends with skate shops all over my zone. And at the time, whenever I was really that was my full-time job, my, my territory was 10 states. So over the course of seven years, I built relationships with the owners, the workers, and then the people that are involved with all these skate shops. So whenever it came time for me to do this, like, it would be, you know, I don't, of course, I don't go through that many skateboards to be able to make stuff out. You need a ton. But I have relationships with skate shops, like, pretty much all along I-10 is what I, like, I I do. Like, from, like, Austin Very clever. to New Orleans, just a straight shot. And um, it it just works out with, like, my life and my schedule to where, I, you know, like we're, we're able to go and, and grab the old board, they're gonna throw them in the trash. So instead of like them being thrown out, you know, if you have a broken board, I'm able to take it and uh, recycle it. And it's a lengthy process, you have to do a lot of work to be able to recycle it. Um, there's just no two ways about it. it, doesn't you know, it just takes time, but the end result you get like a really really beautiful material to work with and then it's just like like anything else it's just like you're limited to what your creation you know your mind can do.
1: Mark the way Daniel's managed to kind of he changed his full-time job into a part-time job but he's combined all these different things he loves to make his life the way he wants it you've done the same tell us the other things that you do to keep that balance in your life.
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. Um, so my, the start that I that I had in the farmers market world was really through my love of of horticulture, landscape work, and and what we call market gardening, which is uh, a small scale farm. You know, lots of those of the market gardeners have a difficult time identifying themselves as a farmer. Uh, but a, a market gardener specifically is someone who grows for local markets, and typically they're the salesperson as well. So my, my uh, introduction to the world of farmers' markets came through uh, my love of keeping my hands in the soil. Um, uh, the The concept of nurturing someone or nurturing uh, a living thing has always been near and dear to my heart. From uh, from the, my childhood uh, times of raising small animals in the backyard uh, and and growing small gardens, like the the idea of of um, of nurturing the health and, and um, and the growth of a living creature has always just been part of who I am, and so it was a pretty natural transition for me to go from uh, from college. I graduated USL in uh, 96 uh, and started my own little small landscape company right thereafter, which um, allowed me to, to purchase a small plot of land in North Lafayette Parish, and my wife and I started a small farm called Mark and Mary City Farm. It was an organic um, produce farm, and we also grew blueberries, blackberries, and uh, a couple acres of fig trees. Um, that introduced me to the world of farmers markets. I became a vendor at some of the local farmers uh, markets uh, when the whole concept of the Save the Horse Farm movement started, uh, uh, I guess it was about 15 years ago now. Um, and the, and that led me uh, to um, helping to organize the farmers and artisans market um, then. And so the, 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 the interesting thing to me is that that transitioned into a leadership role in there. And I, I shortly thereafter, realized that uh, what a marketing could do for individuals is, in fact, nurturing uh, their needs. And so um, it kind of is a, like a twofold thing for me uh, that, that kind of led me down the path that I think is uh, fruitful.
1: And the farmer's market has this open market model where vendors become a member and then they can almost kind of just come three times a year or every week. So someone like Daniel could come and sell his skateboard um, jewelry and furniture there, but not have to be there every single week.
2: Right. So there's one, there's one thing that we hear often at the farmer's market and customers will come up and say, this space, this place, this atmosphere has a certain vibe about it that some other farmers, farmers markets may not have. It feels Free, it feels uh, lively, um, um, honest, and open. And, and so one of the concepts of our, of our original uh, philosophy around the market was that we never wanted the vendor to feel as though they were uh, strapped to the market, meaning it becomes more, too much of a job. It's too stressful. There's some markets uh, around the country that require their vendors to be there every week, and after three misses, they're out. And that's very stressful for a vendor. You can imagine, especially at this time, uh, if they don't have product or, or it's not it's not reasonable for them to show up uh, they're they're uh, punished for it and so we wanted to create a model that we, what we call an open market the vendor pays their their annual fees fifty dollars annual fee uh, that lets our market board know that they're interested in being active that year so that way we can manage uh, the product uh, balance in the market we don't want uh, too much of any one product we don't want to dilute the market so if we know that they're going to be there, then we kind of limit the number of that particular item that's available. Then they have the opportunity to show up once a year if they want to, or they can come every 52 weeks out of the year. They prove it, they pay their booth fee, and, and then they can show up.
1: You're listening to Out to Lunch at Kadena. I'm Aileen Bennett, sitting in for Christian Maida. I'm talking with Mark Hernandez from the Lafayette Farmers Market and artist and woodworker Daniel Barousse. We'll be right back after this very quick break. You're listening to Out to Lunch Acadiana. I'm Aileen Bennett, sitting in for Christian Maida. I'm talking with Mark Hernandez from the Lafayette Farmer's Market and artist and woodworker Daniel Barousse. And I think that matters. People like Daniel, I know that part of your business model is having this freedom. You originally had a full-time job, Daniel, and it took you nine months to persuade that employee to let you go like on the road and do your job from there. Tell me about how did you persuade them?
3: So... So you're talking about like the the van thing. So um,
1: yeah, tell us yeah, about was, the van thing.
3: Yeah, so that's that's kind of how like woodworking came to be, honestly. Um, so I was the director of sales for an apparel company based in Austin, Texas, um, and my territory was the central U.S. Um, and then maybe a year, not quite a year after I'd started working for them, um, they wanted me to take on the entire western half of the U.S. They wanted me to They wanted me to be the director of sales for the whole western half of the U.S. and uh, specifically focus on California's coast where a lot of the business would lie. And based on my background in sales in the skateboarding world um, and in just the action sports world in general, I had... Learned how, you know, I I just could walk in and talk to those guys without a problem, you know, just based on my background, my passions, just what I what I had done. So it made sense. That was honestly, whenever they were hiring me, that was they had that in their mind already. So they asked me to do it. And um, I had just come from a job where I loved it. I loved it. I worked at this clothing company called Volcom. It's, it's a skateboarding company for five years and I was traveling a ton and having a blast. I was traveling 80% of the time um, and I did that for five years and I had a blast, but I got to where I was just like, like anybody kind of burnt out on traveling so much. After you've done it, um, I got kind of burnt out. So I took on this job and part of the appeal of the new job was that I was only going to be traveling 25% of the time which was enough to scratch my itch, but enough for me to like build a routine at home and, you know, do all the things that I felt like I was needing to do. So I took it. And then whenever they offered this to me, I immediately started thinking like, oh man, I'm going to have to start flying back and forth across the country a lot. Again, if I take on this role, a lot of opportunity, a lot of good things could come from it, but man, I'm going right back to traveling. And I was like, man, I wish I could just like, live simple and travel but like combine the two and i'll and it hit me i was driving home to louisiana i was living in austin texas it was a friday night it was like 11 p.m i just crossed over the louisiana border and i'm thinking about like the opportunity in front of me and whether or not i'm going to accept the position and the role and the responsibility and i'm also thinking about the complete opposite like just being like a super simple person like not traveling or maybe traveling and then it, it it clicked and I figured out how to merge the two. And then over the course of nine months I had many meetings, um, budgetary meetings, marketing, planning meetings, um, you know, meetings, with the CEO with the VP, the CFO, trying to figure out how to, how this was going to work strategically. And at the heart of it was like, hey guys, look, here's the here's the raw data. You're gonna have me traveling all the time. Like I'm kind of burnt out on that. This would make it fun. Also, you guys don't have to spend all this money flying me back and forth. Like it's a win-win pretty much. You know what I mean? If I do this and I I approach them with, hey, this is something I want to do. I will finance it. Y'all don't have to put up any money. You just have to give me full autonomy and let me, you know, be on the road 100% of the time, which was like (laughs) kind of complete opposite in what I was going for. But it was in a way that like I'm traveling with my home you know, and I'm traveling, you know, like it just, it was a new avenue and exciting. So I did that. And whenever I took on this, whenever they gave me, okay, you you can do it. Let's do it. Like I, I didn't know how to do any woodworking. I didn't know how to do any electrical. Like I knew nothing about solar panels or like, I didn't know anything, but I took, I took it on and I was like, all right, I had the gumption. I was like, I'm just going to figure it out. So I read books and YouTube videos and, uh, yeah, I figured it out and through the process fell in love with woodworking. And that's how. And it
1: led to where you are yeah. today. Mark, you must hear these kind of stories a lot with people coming to be vendors at the market because for a lot of people, it's their first chance to test what they would really love to do. A lot of some people have full time jobs and they start off at the market. Tell me, like, do you see them grow as people and tell me about the people? Oh,
2: absolutely. I, I, that, that's my favorite part of the, of the market is, 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 is getting an applicant who, who applies to the farmer's market, maybe a little bit uh, hesitant to get started, uh, although they have a passion for a particular thing. Uh, those are the greatest. The, the vendor who will do what they do, whether they make a dollar on it or not, is, the, is our greatest vendor. Uh, you know, we have a, a, a very diverse uh, a vendor crowd there. Uh, some are very entrepreneurial in spirit. Some are very uh, creative in nature. Some, you know, have their ducks in a row and know every aspect of their product and how much uh, they're, they're making per unit. Uh, so the the, the, um, the diversity in what they're there for and what they hope to accomplish uh, is very interesting to me. Um, the, the, the vendors that do the best are the ones who are going to do that, whether they make a dollar or not. And, and and their passion comes across to their to their customer base.
1: So if there's someone listening right now, or Daniel, who's like, oh, I'd like to do that market sometimes, that would be good. How do they, is there an application form? Or do they sh- yes. just show up? What, tell me the process.
2: Yeah. So what we would like for them to do is come out to the market, know what we are about, just, just come out and see the vendors that we have see the see the product, see the atmosphere and and think about before they apply to the market there is an app there is a process and i'll get into it but before they do that i would encourage them to think about the the lifestyle of a farmer's market vendor (laughs) so most of these vendors have full time jobs uh and they'll they'll create their their product through the course of the week Uh, you can you can imagine uh, like the baked goods folks for example i mean they're up all night friday night baking their goods for a six o'clock appearance at the market they're there all day till about 2 p.m. And then typically they go home and crash uh, Saturday night and then try and recoup on Sunday and go back to work on Monday. So it's a very demanding uh, lifestyle if they choose to do it regularly. If, if it's once a month, it's probably not a, that big of a deal. So the application process is that we have a board uh, a, a applications committee, which is uh, makes, made up of five of our board members who are uh, um, either uh, uh, previous vendors or Louisiana Crafts Guild members. So these are these are folks who have gone through the Louisiana Crafts Guild process and become approved uh, artists through the Louisiana Crafts Guild. They take our application, so they, some, someone who's, who's listening could uh, fill out an application on our website. Uh, they'll get a response from us saying, we've received your application and we'll uh, we'll process your application. We'd like samples. And then once they're approved, they have access to the market.
1: Fantastic. Daniel, I looked at your website this morning and... This is, I think this is the question that all creatives get asked at some point. Do you consider yourself more artist or craftsperson, or is it a combination?
3: Uh, I'd say more of an artist, I suppose. I mean, you can't be one without the other, but I would say it's more of an art just because of, you know, I mean, one person could do the exact same thing and they could they could classify themselves that way and they wouldn't be wrong, but I view it as more of an art just... Because it's you know it come everything comes from like a very passionate place
1: and you're moving more towards those kind of artistic commissions rather than just producing stuff to sell
3: yeah yeah that's what like ideally that's what I would just be doing um, and uh, honestly that's kind of where I'm at the bulk of what I do is like I do custom commissions primarily but I'm getting more into like um, just doing my, just doing what I want and you know it it being okay so yeah
1: it's that combination yeah and, and it is for everyone at the farmer's market between art and being able to sell your art and the more it's kinda the more you make a name the more you get to do what you want to do and Mark you must see that with vendors how they start at the farmer's market and then a few years later what they're producing.
2: Yeah, you know the um, what we tell the folks that are that are vendors is we say whatever your story is, whatever whatever draw drives you, make that part of your marketing. You know, make create a story, and and let your customer know who you are, and, and through that connection, uh, your sales will naturally go up.
1: <laughs> so, Daniel, how do you apart from online? Obviously, I can see your website, but how else do you sell your stuff at the moment? Have you ever done a farmer's market?
3: So I've never done a farmers market. Um, I've thought about it, but um, I've done like festivals. I've done like Festival International, which was real. That was the first time I ever showcased any of my work outside of customs custom commissions. Um, so that that went really well, and I did Festival Acadian, and then uh, I had I had quite a few others uh, lined up, but naturally, like with the <laughs> with everything that happened, it just uh, you know those they got canceled. So it was just like, you know, back to, I just do, you know, mostly custom work. Um, but I'm getting more and more into the zone of just doing whatever I want to and, um, that being sufficient. So that's like, you know, every, every like artist's dream, you know, so that's where it's going, but it's a balance between like that and running a business. Like you can't be, It's like anybody, you know, it's like anybody else. It's the same struggle as anything. You you figure out what you need to do to be successful and then what you need to do to be happy and then you find the balance, you know, and you be, you know, it's just like anything else. You know, it's the same thing. Everybody's doing the same, same, same dance.
1: Mark, do you think on the same note that, take people having to take a break from the farmers market will make them more creative because they've had time to rethink that combination of how to sell stuff and how to make yourself happy
2: yeah absolutely uh, one interesting thing that, that we've uh, we've discussed with the lots of our, our art vendors is that uh, the, the the utilization of the market for artists in particular is more of, a, of an opportunity to expose their 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 works not so much a, a place to sell although they do they do make sales but it's really about Getting their name out and being able to uh, expose their their works to a, a broader audience.
1: And Daniel, have you found yourself being more creative during this time, or were you?
2: Oh yeah.
3: Is it? Oh yeah. This, yeah. This has oh, been good. like, it's been a challenging time, but on certain levels, it's been like, I mean, just in my world, just because I'm already in isolation, you know, I'm in like a, a box, you know, all day just working with wood. Um, So, you know, but it it forces you to just like delve deeper into that. And uh, it's been positive in that sense. You know, of course, it's like there's challenges that come with it, but it's it's you know, that aspect has been good. It's just like it's I find myself definitely having an easier time just getting into the flow and really just losing a losing track of time while i'm working which is my ultimate that's my favorite thing in the world
1: it's awesome mark a final question <laughs> for you we know that there's a new park coming we're not quite sure when what happens with the market in that new park
2: so the market will remain as, as is well we're very very excited about the the opportunity to have a new farmer's market pavilion uh which will be established kind of behind where the red barn is. For those of you who are familiar with the, the park, there's a beautiful old uh, red barn. So the farmer's market pavilion will, will be located right behind there. The market, I think, will will just blossom even further once the park is open. So now the, the, the park, uh, the market is exposed to only those who are coming specifically for the farmer's market. When that park is open, you know, there'll be so many more opportunities for us to, uh, to expose our, our, our vendors and, and all the great things of the market to a much larger audience. So it'll just continue to grow. We're going to stay open through construction.
1: Excellent. I think we're all looking forward to that. And maybe we can get Daniel there some week as well. And that would I, be, I need
3: to go. I, I honestly, <laughs> yeah. I've been needing to go. And then like the, you know, the pandemic hit and it was just like so wild. And, but I, before that I, I talked to Mark, I was like, cause I was, you know, I, I help my, my girlfriend, she does the far, was doing the farmer's market all the time. And, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely something I need to do. So Mark, I, I do need to get with you on that.
1: We'll make it happen. I started out today talking about the distinction between LA as in Louisiana and LA as in Los Angeles. In the grand scheme of things, Lafayette, Louisiana is a small town and Acadiana is a uniquely distinct part of America, insulated by the mainstream, by bayous, swamps, language, and culture. But strangely, we're not wanting for anything here. If you didn't know this show was made in the Louisiana variant of LA and you just heard us talk about vibrant farmers market and an artist who make pieces of sculptural functionality out of recycled skateboards, you might assume we were talking about the second largest city in America rather than the fourth largest city in Louisiana. Mark and Daniel, thank you for everything you do to make Lafayette and Acadiana the rich and rewarding place it is to live in. And thank you for joining me today on Out to Lunch Acadiana.
2: Thank you for the opportunity.
3: Thank you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you.
1: My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Mark Hernandez, Market Director of the Lafayette Farmers and Artisans Market, and Daniel Barousse, artist, woodworker, and owner of Barousse Works. We edited this show to fit in the time slot here on KRVS. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about the farmer's market and recycled skateboards by listening to the Out to Lunch Acadiana podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch Acadiana podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, itsacadiana.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsacadiana.com on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill Lafleur. You can find out more about Jill's photos at lefleurphoto.com. We'll be going back to hosting Out to Lunch at the French Press soon. In the meantime, they're open and you can go there Wednesday through Sunday. Out to Lunch Acadiana is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Morel. Our associate producer is Molly Richard. Our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Aileen Bennett. I'm sitting in for Christian Maida, who's on paternity leave. Either Christian or I will be back here next week. We look forward to seeing you then around our virtual lunch table for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch Acadiana.